chapter 2, we're going to look at, uh, we're just going to continue there in that Christmas story. The title this morning of our message is this, Little is Much When God is in It. And you all know the song, we may, there, you, there may be singing involved in a moment, who knows, we may break out in some song, but uh, little truly is much when God is in it. I was singing, singing that, little, that little song that goes with that, and I was talking, I, I actually changed the words, and I said, a lot ain't much if God ain't in it. And it don't matter what you have, if God ain't in it, it they're, they're, it's just nothing. It doesn't matter. It, 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 it's in, irrelevant. But we're going to look at this topic this morning, a little as much when God is in it. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read through verse 7 right here. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Then this census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now, as I've been thinking the last several weeks in preparation for Christmas and the Christmas messages, there's some things that I've been reminded of. I've, I've been reminded of that in life, oftentimes the smallest of things actually are very important. Amen? With the little things, the little things are, are, can be very important. Michelangelo was known for his attention to the smallest of details, and he said this He said, Trifles make perfection, but perfection is no trifle. It's not a small thing. It's not an insignificant thing. So perfection, it's the little things, the little things that can make perfection, but perfection is not a little thing. And, uh, you know, we'd better pay attention. We'd better pay attention to the little things in life. And if we don't, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Amen? Now, how many of you, I think we've got our pictures here. I want to look at that first slide. I want to just in the way of introduction, look at this a little bit. Who can tell me what that is? That's a that's a that's a an oil plug. Yeah, it's a bolt. It's an oil plug. It's a drain plug. Now that's a little bitty thing. That, that that's maybe a half inch long. It's a probably three quarter inch at its widest point there. It's a little bitty thing. But you forget that, and you got some problems. So the next thing. So if you forget to put that back in, you you may have this. Next slide. So you change your oil, you take the plug out, you take the filter off, you drain everything out, you know, and you put your filter back on. <gasps> I forgot to put the oil plug in. You go put about five quarts of oil in there, and as you back up, I don't know how far you're going to get, but you, you back up, and then you've got that uh, in your garage, which is a mess, right? The only thing is, if you do that, if that happens, you pour five quarts of oil, you're going to feel more like this next picture. Well, it may look like that. Now let's go to the next picture. But it's really going to feel like that. That's what it's going to feel like if you forget. So a little thing can make a big deal. All right, we got something similar to that in boats. If you've ever been on a boat, I, I didn't know much about boats. But my brother told me one time I was taking the boat out. This is not a picture of what happened to me. Uh, I, I remember to put the plug. I didn't know a boat had that. I didn't know it had a plug. But he said, make sure you put that plug in there or you know, you'll know real soon that you didn't. But if you don't put that, that plug in there that drain plug, then that's what you, that's what can happen. Or the next picture even maybe worse. I mean, that looks like a pretty nice boat. That's uh, they, they even put the plug in. And so there, um, 
but you also have other things. Some of it can be a lot more serious than that. You know, that's, that's, those, are, those are serious things. It can be a lot worse. You know, if you've got an airplane, you forget to put the fuel cap on. Or there's, I found out this week as I was just doing a little investigating. There's a lot of little things that if you don't do, you, you can end up like this. And so, look, the little things in life are serious. Little things in life. The little things in life can make a big deal. Think about this. So one match. One match. One seed. One grain of sand. One grain of sand, that's not much. There's not much I can do. Get it in your eye. Amen? Especially if you've got contacts. That's really fun. Uh, one word of encouragement. I mean, all of us could probably remember a time where someone spoke a word of encouragement into our life that it, there, there couldn't have been anything better at that time. So there's a big things. One, one minute. One minute. Everything can change in a minute. For the good, for the bad. One minute. Or one vote. So listen, folks. Little things are big. And you know, our God is an awesome God. He's a big God. He's a powerful God. He's an amazing God. And it's clear, it's clear as you study Scripture that God, our God, our amazing, huge, big, all-powerful God, that He delights in using the smallest, the most mundane, the seemingly insignificant things and places and people. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is some of the little things in the Christmas story and how God uses those. First is this. God uses little places. We, we've already read there in verse 4 and in verse, first, uh, second part of verse 7 there. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So, so Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just a little bitty city. Uh, verse 7b, and laid him in a manger. Now, if, if, if Christ was laid in a manger, uh, then we have every reason to believe that they were in a stable. We, we, we draw this from these things here, that, he's, that he's, he's probably in a stable. Now, many times we see it as we envisioned it last night as we were out with our live nativity of it being like a, a barn or something. More than likely that wasn't the case. It was probably a cave. And we've been over there. I've been to Bethlehem. I've been over there and there's these big caves. And they would have been a place they would have sheltered the animals. So he was probably born in a stable, in a cave where other animals are around and there's, and there's hay in there and they would have had a manger looking for a place to to lay this newborn babe, and they would have just got a manger. We think of manger, we think of Christmas, but a manger was nothing but a feeding trough. It's a simple thing in this simple place. You know, when it, it, it may come as a surprise to know that many of the homes of that day, um, the, 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 they were rich. It was amazing, the richness and the, and, the, and the conveniences that they had that we would call modern. Now, you don't think of having running hot and cold water, but they had running hot and cold water in that day. They had, they had spigots for pouring wine. They had even sauna baths. Now, sauna is a heated bath. We were, we were on Masada, the, the mountain Masada that's, I mean, you can't, you couldn't get to it without, there's a trail, there's a strange trail to go up there. But they've got, they got water up on there. And Herod had built this incredible palace up there. They had heated saunas in there. They had heated baths, all those things. Now, we're talking 2,000 years ago. They had the kind of conveniences we would think of today. But God didn't use a lavish place as, as the place of the birth, uh, you know, as a place for the birth of the king of kings. He didn't, he didn't have Jesus be born in this amazing palace, in this rich home. 
Jesus, the King of kings, God in flesh, Emmanuel, was born in a cave and laid in a feeding trough. God chose that little cave for Jesus or or barn, whichever it was, because our text tells us that Mary laid him in a manger. And we see throughout the scriptures that God uses humble little places for his glory. You know, we, we think of Bethlehem. Most everybody knows Bethlehem today. In that day, it was an obscure little speck in a small country. It's just a, it was nothing. It's an unknown village. And yet God used that for his son to be born in. Israel was just a little country. Israel is a, a little country today. And God's hand is there. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's being used mightily and will be. And we're going to see in the days to come through, through the prophetic uh, text and through the, the end times that Israel is a major, 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 major part of the end times. And it's just a little country. It was this little obscure town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Think about the Last Supper. The Last Supper was held in an obscure borrowed upper room. Just this little small place. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Just a little obscure place. God uses little places for his glory. And the second thing is God also uses little possessions. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, swaddling clothes is just strips of fabric. and It's cheap fabric. It's the cheap white strips. So... Jesus, the king of the universe, wasn't wrapped in in colorful garments of fine silk befitting a prince of royalty. Rather, he was wrapped in these swaddling clothes, these these common, cheap, plain, white fabric that they just had swatches of. And they, and they, they would wrap him in that. It's just pieces of cloth. It's the most mundane of possessions. In fact, it may not have even been their possession. Uh, if you've seen the movie The Chosen, they brought out a, a, the, the Christmas movie. It was interesting, one of the thoughts they brought there, that these were just borrowed cloths from whoever owned the stable. And these cloths, these swaddling clothes, may have even been used to wrap the animals that were born and to clean them off. It's interesting how God uses the smallest of things. And to use this manger, a feeding trough, as a bed for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But God, but God using a little possession for his glory is nothing new. Amen? He uses little things. All through the Bible, we see that God uses little possessions for his service and glory. Um, it was just a little sling that David used to defeat Goliath. Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with just a little ox goad. And that's just simply a rod used to guide oxen. Moses parted the Red Sea with a a simple rod. It was probably just a shepherd's crook, just a little thing. The widow could could give only two mites, but its value was far greater than the much larger gift of the rich man, uh, for she gave everything that she had. She gave it all. Just a small thing. Another widow had only a little flour and a little oil, but with it God sustained her and her son and Elijah. Just a little. Just a little. Jesus used a little colt to ride through triumphantly to ride into Jerusalem. Just a little thing. The little boy only had five loaves and two fishes, and yet God fed 5,000 men plus the women and children. Just little possessions. That when given to God are much. 
I have not much to offer to Christ my Lord and King. No wealth, no might, no wisdom, no noble gift to bring. Five loaves and two small fishes, but what, alas, are they among the throngs of hungry who crowd life's troubled way? Five loaves and two small fishes, not much, my friends, is true, but yield them to the Master and see what He can do. Placed in His hands of mercy, thy little will be much. Tis not the gift that matters, but His almighty touch. God uses little places and he uses little possessions. But the third here that I want to look at is my favorite, is that God uses little people. He uses little people. Verse 8 through 20 there in Luke chapter 2 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, goodwill, a peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to them, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told, as it was told them. Think about this for a moment, that, that, that it wasn't the wealthy, it wasn't the powerful, it wasn't the educated, it wasn't the religious, it wasn't the famous It wasn't the influential to whom the angels brought tidings of great joy in the Christmas story. It was a group of little people, simple people, regular everyday people as they went to the lowly shepherds. This angel goes to the lowly shepherds, the humble, lowly, simple, regular people like you and me. That's who the shepherd went to. That's who he proclaimed the birth of the, of the king of kings and lord of lords. God made flesh. And it was, it was simple shepherds that the angel went to. God loves small and little things and little people. Now Mary, who God chose to bear the baby Jesus, was not a fashionable, wealthy, elite lady of nobility. She was just an ordinary girl. Just an ordinary girl who loved the Lord. And God did not choose a rich nobleman to be the head of the family into which Jesus was born. Rather, Joseph was a simple, hard-working carpenter who made a living of working with his hands and with the sweat of his brow. Just a simple little person, a small person, a little person. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 31 But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. 
that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who because... Uh, because uh, who because uh, uh, who became for our wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now we see many other times in the Bible where God uses little things and little people. We see where David David was just a simple shepherd boy. David, who is still just regarded so highly. Uh, among the Jews and even among us believers. David was just a simple shepherd boy. No, no, Moses was the son of a common slave woman. Paul was a short, homely man with poor eyesight. Then many of the great men in church history were just little people. Martin Luther was the grandson of a peasant and the son of a copper smelter. Uh, the 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody was a farmer's son who later moved to the big city and became a shoe salesman. William Carey, the founder of modern missions, was a simple shoe cobbler. God uses simple people. These and many other men and women were just simple, everyday people. They were little people who were called and used by a big God. Little people. And the truth of the matter is that the Lord's work has almost always been carried out by just average, ordinary, little people. Most of whom were never famous and never recognized for their contributions. But you know what? That's okay with me. It's okay. Because I'm going to tell you this. It's a joy to be a little person used by a big God. That's where the joy is. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to... Divert here for a second. I saw David over there shaking his hand, Dave Stewart. And David just worked, his, worked himself to death yesterday, and so many others did. I just want to say thank you to everybody who had a part in putting together that, that, the, the nativity. Pastor Aaron and his team, folks, that ain't easy. Moving all that sound system out there, setting it up, getting the sound right. And then as soon as it's over, you just got to bring it, break it down and bring it back in and get it set back up. A lot of work went into that. Thank you, Aaron, and your team. And uh, so many others. Patrick, wherever Patrick is, Patrick just, you know, he, he did way above and beyond to make sure. Patrick, thank you for what you did. And Dave Stewart was running around here doing all kind of stuff. Just anywhere and everywhere he could help, he was doing it. And uh, so many. I mean, I'm leaving others out. But we had an army of people that were working. And, and, I, and I stopped there because of this. It's nice. I, I like being used by God. And Dave, Dave was shaking his head because I know what he was thinking. Because it felt good when you went home last night, didn't it, David? Patrick, it felt good yesterday, didn't it? When we saw people here who've never been on our campus who came and heard the gospel. They heard the Christmas story. They got to fellowship and meet, meet believers and build some relationships. That was all the work that went into that. It was worth it. But we were being used. Now, I don't want to be used by people, but I so desire to be used by God. I so want to be used by God. You know, we're all just little people. I think of my life, and, you know, we were poor, and uh, it's one thing to be poor when you're a kid and not know it. We were poor, and I knew it. I was old enough, I knew it. We were poor, and I knew it. And, and, uh, and my father was an alcoholic, and I thought everybody knew that. You know, it's one of those things you, you wear it like a, it's, it's a stain that you wear. And uh, I think, the, you know, I'm the, I'm the kid, I'm the kid that, look, my parents divorced not once but twice. Once wasn't good enough, so they got remarried and they did it again. And uh, so 
we got that going on. And, uh, you know, I'm the kid that the county would have said, if, if I'd turned out to be the county drunk or the county druggie or whatever, if, if I'd gone down that road, everybody would have said, well, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. That, that, that was me. I could have easily gone down that road. That was the life we were in, in a life of abuse and, and different things. And then on top of that, I had some really strange habits, and um, I hate to even share it. Had some little quirky things, and you're going to think, well, that's stupid, preacher. But, you know, when you're a kid, it, it's a, but I used to, I had this habit of doing this. Can you see what I'm doing? Is that what Jimmy Stewart would do? I'm trying, I, 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 it was like I thought my pants were going to fall off. And I, was, I, I wouldn't just pull my pants up, you know. I thought, that's, that's rude or whatever. I don't know what a kid thinks. But I would, I would use my arms to pull my pants up. Drove my mama crazy. Drove my mama crazy. Boy, what are you doing? Get that, tighten up that belt or whatever. But, I, you know, I had that. And once I'm when you're aware you got a habit or something, you think about it every time then it, it comes up. Um, I had that. I had trouble saying certain words. It's not much different than now, is it? As I think about it. Uh, but I had trouble saying certain things. And I had a little bit of a list, but I, one of the things I couldn't say is I couldn't say, I couldn't say um, three. I, I would say, yeah, I couldn't say that. I would say tree. I couldn't get, I, it was tree. I couldn't say three. And so I had some trouble with different words. And I had a, I had a thing going on when I was younger where I, would, I, I had a habit of, I, all these habits. I had this habit of clearing my throat. <clears throat> I do that. And I did it so much that I created scar tissue on my vocal cords. I had what they called vocal nodules. I guess it was nodules. But I had these. They they said they were just calluses. So I was doing that all the time. And I created these calluses. So it got to where if I talked too much or if I yelled, I could yell one time and I'd go completely hoarse. I couldn't talk. So I had to go. I'm in the second grade. I had to go into therapy, speech therapy. Well, they sat me in a room. They gave me a clicker. And I had to, every time I raised my voice, I had to hit the clicker. Every time I, if I, if I screamed or yelled or talked or what, got loud, everything I had to mark in, I had to keep these numbers. And every week I had to come and sit with this speech therapist and talk about this. It's traumatic for a two-year-old. <laughs> Dad's an alcoholic and your parents are fighting and divorcing and you're being abused. And all these things are going on. And, and, then, and then on top of that, um, I was... I was after about the fifth grade, I got really shy. Anybody here shy? Anybody shy? Come on, raise your hand. You're too shy to even raise your hand. Come on. So some of you are shy. Some of you are reserved. How many of you would just love to be up here speaking right now? There's a couple. There's a couple that, see, everybody's different. But most of us don't want to be in front of it. Now, see, God made me as one of those most of us. And, and I'm, I'm really a shy and reserved person. I still get nervous before I speak. And, and, and I, so I know God's got, got a sense of humor. But as a kid, I would get so nervous that I would, I would I've, I've learned, now I've learned that you'll hyperventilate. Right? So if you get nervous and you, next thing you know, you're going out. So I would, I would struggle with, I couldn't breathe right. And I'm getting all upset. And my heart's racing 90 miles an hour. And I'd get up and I'd have to do something. And everything would go white. Anybody relate? It goes white. So I, I would have that. Things would go white. And I remember having to, I would have to like get my feet wide and hold on to stuff because I didn't want to fall in front of everybody. But I had all these things. So you think about all these things. And I remember as I'm coming up, and I remember the Lord beginning to work in my life and 
call me to ministry. And I'm going, Lord, how can you use this? Folks, if God can use me, he can use anybody in this room. God delights in using little people. And best I can tell, we're all just a, we're just a group of normal folks in here. We're just, we're just normal people. We're little people. God can use you. He wants to use you. All we got to do is just say, Lord, I want to live my life for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my whole heart. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to walk in my, in my way. I'm going to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, God, and just get involved. Do something. Find a place to get involved because God loves using little people to do great big things. I was telling you about the song, A Little As Much. How many of you know that song? Three of you, okay. I'm going to introduce you to another new song. This is a Gaither song, if I'm not mistaken. This is Gaither sang this. Um, I don't know if he wrote it, but I know I've heard him sing it. But uh, the first two lines, I'm not even very familiar with it, but it says, In the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Now, now we're going to try to sing. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it If you'll go in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Look, God wants to use you. God wants to use each one of us. He loves little possessions and little places and little people. And so as I begin to wrap this this part of our service up, I just want to think about that. So when we think about little places, what do you think of in your life? Well, my thought goes to my home. It's a little place. But, but But it's my little place that God's blessed me with. And maybe that's a little something right there, a little possession, a little, a little place that God can use for His honor and glory. Maybe, maybe we can do a better job of hosting. Maybe we can do a better job of reaching out to our, our neighborhood and using that little place as a, as a beacon of the gospel out of, out of our home. Another little place I thought about with this is, is First Baptist Geneva. When I was thinking about Bethlehem, I had to think about Geneva. And Bethlehem's a little nothing spot in the middle of a a little bitty country in the middle of nowhere. And if that's not us, I don't know what is. A little old Geneva out here in the middle of, we're on the, as Glenn Rogers says, you have to go to the uttermost part of the earth to get to Geneva. So when he travels out here, he's coming to the uttermost part of the earth. And what's that? Yeah. But we're, we're, we're a little church in a little community out here. But folks, if we'll allow God to use us, if we'll be faithful to Him and His will, we, we can see God do great and mighty things in this little place. Amen? God uses little possessions. So what little possessions do we have? Well, do you have a car to bring visitors to church? Gail? Amazing. A phone? 
Everybody's got a phone. Just about everybody's got a phone. It's a little possession. But you know what? You can use that to make a call. You can, you can use it to say, hey, hey, uh, how you doing? Use it to encourage somebody, brother or sister in Christ. Maybe use it to invite somebody to come to church with you. You know, if the preacher goes and invites people to come with him, that's not very effective. But if you invite your friends, you invite those folks to come, that's, that's very powerful. The people in your circle, if you invite them, maybe that phone could be used for that. Boy, a computer today, there's so many things we can do with computers. But, you know, you can send an email. There, there's different things you can do with a computer, that, that, that little possession. A musical instrument. Now, you're going to see that. And we see it every Sunday morning. We got, we got the drums here. We got a couple. We got three different guitars that were being played, four different guitars being played this morning. We have a piano. We have all these instruments, these, these things that just in and of itself right there is nothing. It's a little thing. But gosh, it's used. It's used. That's a great. The voice is being used. It's a little thing. Pen and paper to write, to write cards of thankfulness and gratefulness or, or encourage someone or lift them up. So those are little things. Our tithes and offerings. Our tithes are a little thing. But, but God takes that tithe. He takes the little thing that we give and he multiplies it. He blesses it and he uses it for his honor and for his glory to further his work. Use the little things in your life and give them to our big God and see what he does. See how he multiplies those things. And then the last thought is this, is how do we as little people, what, what can we do? What is it that I can do? I, I'm just a little person. You know, I, I think this is, there's a lot of abilities that are great. There are a lot of great abilities. I'm going to give you the greatest ability, I think. I think the two greatest are this. I think flexibility is a great ability. But the greater ability is availability. Being available for God to use you. There's a lot of jobs in the church. There's no big jobs in the church. All the jobs are little jobs. And we can all pitch in and do little things. And collectively, we can do a great work here for the Lord. Through His power and what He does in us and through us. Amen? It's important, folks. And I encourage you as we come to the end of the year, we got a lot of new people. I'm going to encourage you to get involved this coming year. Get involved. Find a place to serve. A, a strong Christian is a serving Christian. And a, and a happy, fulfilled Christian is a serving Christian. When you, when you stay involved, it gives you great value in your life. It, it encourages you. It's going it's it, 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 to, you're going to be more connected there's just so much. It's so important that you get involved and be connected. But God will use you in the little things. He'll use it for good and he'll use it for great. Now listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to transition. Normally we would go into an invitation. But we have communion this morning. And so I'm going to invite our deacons at this time. If you'll come on down and uh, just prepare yourselves, make yourselves available. We'll get our table moved over here in just a moment. And... Uh, And we'll have, we'll have an invitation, but we're going we're gonna to move that uh, into um, tied in with this part of our service.
We do this to remember the Lord's death until he returns. That's what we do when we have communion. We're remembering his death and the Lord told us to do this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had uh, supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. This is a, a time of memorial. This is symbolic. This, it, it was not Jesus' actual body, even though he said, This is my body. We take from the context of the situation there, um, that this was, this was symbolic. The bread symbolizing the Lord's body. The cup symbolizing His blood. Um, it, it's obvious from the context that this is a symbolic remembrance. Likewise, the cup was not literally filled with the Lord's blood. The Lord was establishing what we rem we're remembering here this morning, communion or the Lord's Supper. Now, there's three directions that uh, as we look into this communion. As we look at this this morning, as we think about this, there's three directions that we need to think about. The first is this, and you could even put it in the context of with, with what we're talking about with Christmas as we're right here at the season. With the, we're going to look at three contexts here of Christmas. So let's look at Christmas past. So as we're doing this, we remember the Lord's death. All right, we're remembering his death on the cross, the, the beating that he took for us, uh, the being nailed to that cross. And, and but. In order to remember his death, we have to understand that his death was made possible by his birth. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgins shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Listen, that birth of a baby in a manger doesn't mean a thing. It just isn't something we're remembering today if that's not God in flesh. And, and, and they, they would wonder, and even, even they struggle with who Jesus really was, even to the point where until he was resurrected and they met him face to face. There were those that struggled with, really, is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? And once he was resurrected, but it was, it was, his death was made possible by his birth. In order for Jesus, God, to die for us, he had to first come and be a part of us. And, it, and think of this, folks. We, 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 we consider Jesus and we see this little baby and we say he's God, but I don't know if we fully comprehend what that means. It means the eternal God Almighty, the Son of God who had always been with the Father, left that. He's still God, but he came and he took on flesh. He became one of us. And so his death was made possible by his birth. And his death was made meaningful by his resurrection. Again, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, then he's just another, maybe he's just another name in history. Another zealot, another religious fanatic, another false prophet who said he was going to do this and didn't. But Jesus goes and dies on the cross 
and had told them again and again and again and again that in three days I'll rise from the dead. And they didn't believe him until he did it. And they saw him. But his death was made meaningful by his resurrection. So as we remember the Lord's death, listen, he conquered death. You think of your enemies. Our greatest enemies, as we look at it, are death and hell and the grave. And Jesus defeated every one of our enemies. Defeated those. We don't have to, as it's already been, even I think in Pastor Aaron's prayer, we don't have to fear death as a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, you should fear death. You should, you should be in constant turmoil if you're not a follower of Christ. But as a believer, we, we, we understand that through Christ we have eternal life. The, grail, the, the, the grave could not hold him. Death couldn't keep him. He is alive forevermore and he has offered us that life. So when we look back, we think, of, we think of Christmas past and we think of his birth. But his birth is important all because of his life and his death and his resurrection. And so we remember his death and we remember, listen, that's not a small thing. He was as us and he gave himself and he, he took that beating and he took that punishment and he was nailed to a cross. He shed his blood. But worse than any of that, the physical, he took our sin, folks. He took our sin. The Bible says he became sin for us. And he paid for sin once for all. So when we think of this and we look back to the Christmas past, we think of the Lord's death. We remember his death this morning. But then when we come to Christmas present, we remember the Lord's steps. And we should walk in those steps. The word communion is an action word which means fellowship, uh, participate in, share together, have in common. That's what those, that word means. So this observance is not simply keeping a dead memory alive. It's entering the presence of the one who lived, died, was raised from the dead by the power of God and is alive forevermore. And above all, Above all that, he is present with us always and is represented here and now at this table. And we're going we're gonna to remember him, what he did for us, but what he's doing for us today. He left us an example. He gave us his word. We have everything we need, and we should live our lives today in a, in a walk with him. Amen? Amen. We, should be, we should be living our lives for him. And Christmas should be much more about this table than it is about yonder stable. This is much more important than his birth was his death, burial, and resurrection. And then we come to Christmas future. And in this we remember his soon return. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Till he comes. We will proclaim his death till he comes. Three powerful words. Till he comes. Because we will remember this and we will take part in this until the Lord comes back and raptures us out of here and takes us on to glory. Now as we observe communion this morning, the question would be who should take part? 
and, I, and I'll, I, I'm going to give you this and give you caution this morning, that only believers should take part in communion. Okay? Only those who trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation should take part in this. And I'd also say that, uh, that, that those believers, uh, only believers who are in right relationship, right fellowship with God, if, if you're walking in sin, then I caution you, and I'm going to read the scriptures, but I would caution you against partaking of the Lord's cup if you're not in right fellowship with God. Verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Okay? So what we're going to do at this time is, uh, and I'll ask Pastor Aaron and, uh, and the team if you'll come forward. There, we're going to have a, this is really our invitation time that we're going to have right now. And this is a time of re- reflection. Before we receive communion this morning, before we take of the Lord's Supper, then 